See, guys, I'm so thankful. We can clap about some of the joy. We, we have joy. We should have joy. I mean, gosh, of all the things that a believer should have is joy because of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we, <clears throat> we need to have that joy to the place where, like Pastor Rick was saying, we're sharing that joy. You know, if you have something of that great treasure, you should be sharing it. And, and I hope you are. I really do hope you are because, man, this world is broken and it's needy and, and they need us to point them to Christ. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to have joy. Let's be faithful to share that joy. This evening, we're having our, our Christmas banquet. We do it every year. And let me just say this, guys, come to the, come to the banquet. Uh, come because, man, this is a, it's a rare opportunity for us to sit with people we may not get to sit with all the time, to get to know you, maybe if we haven't gotten to know you, uh, for you to get to know some people maybe you've not gotten to know before. But, but beyond that, fellowship, we also have fellowship with Christ as a church. And it's a powerful thing. And if, you, if you're worried about you don't have time to fix something, that's okay. I don't know if anybody's going to go home hungry, but if we do, I don't think we're going to go home hungry, right? We, we're going to be okay. So I encourage you to do that. I also want you to pray about something as you get ready to come tonight. Uh, I was praying recently about how can I how can I touch more of the police officers and get more gospel into the police department and our community and shared with our other pastors that have been praying about maybe getting some devotion books for these guys to have, to read. And, and so they said, well, let's just ask the church if they'll give and help support that so that we can buy some devotion books. So, so you pray about it. If you want to give, come tonight to give. And uh, just, just one of the areas, right, that we're trying to reach some more people in Casper. So, so please be aware of that. Take your Bibles and turn over to uh, Isaiah chapter 7 with me this morning. I mean, one of the things that, that is still quite a challenge, I would say, for, for many of us is, is really who is Jesus Christ to us? Who is God to us? And, you know, many of us have some answers, at least as far as what you know about him or in your head. But, but there's a difference between kind of reeling off some answers that you've learned over years of Bible study or at Sunday school or whatever and really understanding him, understanding God and understanding the hope that we have and understanding the difference that he makes. There's huge differences. I mean, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. It's nothing to say you're a Christian. It's nothing to say you have faith. It means nothing to let those things roll out of your mouth. It's something else to actually live like God is, is real to us. So, so this morning we're going to talk about Jesus came to show us that God is with us. And we've kind of been talking about this little question, why did Jesus come? We talked about two weeks ago, he came to defeat the works of the devil and I want you to think about the depth and the significance of some of these things. I mean, the devil tempted Eve and led her to share the apple with, or the fruit with Adam and, and death came into this world through the influence of the devil and he continues to influence us and others for evil and the Bible says Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. He did that through the cross. I mean, who else 
could do that? Who, who else could overcome evil in our own lives and in the world other than Christ Jesus? And then last week we talked about how Christ came to bless every family on earth. And I mean, I, I think about that stuff sometimes because I truly, sincerely, and I hope you're the same way, I, mean, I want people to know Christ. I want them to be blessed. I want them to have peace. I want them to have forgiveness. I want them to have hope. I want them to have that. But it doesn't take very long to realize that, you know, in ourselves, our influence, man, it's not very, it's not very broad. It's not very powerful. I mean, apart from Christ, we can't do anything, the Bible says, but Christ came to bless every family of the earth. Again, who else could do that? Who else could do that but Christ? And he came and again did that through the cross and his resurrection that we might have life in him. I mean, I want you to think about what it means to celebrate Christ's coming. He came and he makes a difference and has made a difference and will continue to make a difference. It's not insignificant that we celebrate Christmas. It's powerful. So this morning we're going to talk about he came to show us that God is with us. Now that's pretty important too, by the way. So Isaiah chapter 7, beginning of verse 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was re reported to the house of David, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet, now to meet Ahaz, you and your son share Jashub at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be fainthearted because of these two snubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Because Aram with, Re with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then the Lord said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is amazing to me. It's complex, it's simple, it's filled with truth that brings both conviction as well as encouragement. It's designed, Lord God, to penetrate our hearts, 
our souls, our bones and our marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts because it's alive and it speaks and we need you to speak through your word. Lord God, knowing you is life. But knowing you, Lord, means to believe in you, to trust in you, to let you be the difference in our lives day by day. And we need that too. So for those of us that know you, we pray you would grow us today, strengthen our walk with you. For those that don't know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, the joy that comes with forgiveness in Christ. And I just pray that you'd bless as you speak today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, a little bit different passage as you look at the context of this at Christmas. But I, I think we can see some, some things in here that are, that are important to us. I mean, basically, as we look at this passage, the first thing that we, we really see here is that there are two armies, two nations joined together that are coming up against Israel to destroy it, to wage war against it. One is Aram, one is Israel. Israel's the northern kingdom. They're coming into Judah and into Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom, in order to destroy the southern kingdom, in order to set up their own king. Uh, the Bible says over here, I think it's verse 6, says, let's go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. And so the, the picture that you get here is that these two nations have come against, or against Judah for the purpose of literally tearing down some of the walls of Jerusalem, bringing troops in there, controlling Jerusalem, controlling Judah, and setting up their own king so this king could then reign over the people that that should be reigned by Ahaz, by the rightful king of Judah. And, and so basically what we're talking about here is some serious political unrest, right? If you want to put it in modern day terms, serious political unrest where evil is taking place. And, and I, just got a, I just got an email from uh, my brother George uh, in Congo just Friday night, kind of late Friday night. Um, and he tells me, he says, Pastor, I need you to pray. Uh, the situation in Congo is serious. Uh, it's very dangerous here now. I've even thought of taking my whole family and, and leaving Congo and going into Zambia, but I don't have enough resources to get into Zambia and, and uh, just pray for our safety for me and my family. And of course, that means, that means much more to me and to the, some of us that have been in, into Congo because there's 25 pastors that we know pretty well 25 different churches, many hundreds of people that some of them live way up in the, the interior recesses of Congo. And uh, when I got off the phone, I was like, Lord, how am, I, how am I supposed to help, right? I mean, I believe that if God opens doors, he'll, he'll let us help in ways that I can't imagine, but I don't know how that looks. It's pretty heartbreaking. It was on my heart pretty heavy and I started reading about what was going on in Congo and there's, there's militia that have come in and by militia bands of marauders that have come in from Uganda and the northeast and Rwanda and the northeast and then 
another group that's been around when Pastor Max and I were in there, and they're just they're just there to cause political unrest as well as to pillage, rape, burn villages, defy whatever authorities, and just destroy. And then they're about to have elections in Congo, and and you know it's the president of Congo right now is putting his opponents into jail and killing others. And I mean, it's just, by the way, let me just say this. All your complaints about America should cease. You don't even know what you're talking about. But I'm talking about chaos to the place where men that love Christ and have faith are afraid that they need to take their families out so they don't get killed by just this unknown evil that's spreading across this country. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, you're talking about people coming in and indiscriminately killing and controlling and destroying. And so the Bible says here in verse 2 that, that when they heard that these armies were camped in Ephraim, which is, which is just outside of Judah, it says the heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. And, and we kind of understand that, right? We, well, we kind of and we kind of don't. We've never had foreign armies ripping through our country. We've never had armies camped outside of Casper ready to come in and destroy. We, we probably can't really understand that, but we can kind of maybe mentally picture this situation is dire. It's desperate. Matter of fact, some of the scholars actually say that it's possible that these two nations were coming to capture Jerusalem so that they could then bring Jerusalem into their, Judah into their group because Assyria was rising up as a world power and conquering other nations and heading their way. And so, I mean, you talk about unrest in the world right now. It's, it's dire. But look at what the Bible says in verse four, because God sends Isaiah to Ahaz. And in verse four, God says to say to him, take care and be calm. Have no fear. Do not be faint hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aaron and the son of Remaliah. Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted. God actually says these two guys are snubs of smoldering firebrand, which all that means is they took a stick out of the fire. Instead of being on fire anymore, it's basically burned out. There's no power left in them, not much left to them. God sees them as nothing. But can you imagine being the king of Judah? Can you imagine being a person in Judah, can you imagine being a person in Jerusalem when God says, be calm? What would your response be? What would your response be? Sure, Lord, I'll get right on that. Right? I'll get right on that, Lord. I mean, what would your response be when he says, have no fear? What would your response be when he says, don't be faint-hearted? Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Really, what would your response be? 
Because quite honestly, I know what our response would be in many ways. And it certainly would not be saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'll be calm. And I won't be afraid and I won't be faint-hearted. Most of us would hear God speak and then say, you gotta be crazy, God. You gotta be crazy. You gotta be crazy because this danger that's outside our city and outside our country is real. Lord, we can see them. We can hear them. We know who they are. We know they're bigger nations than we are. We know they have more power than we have. God, what are you talking about being calm? We're talking about not having any fear. Isn't that true? I mean, let's be honest. We, we sometimes, we speak so easily about what we believe about God and how we trust in God and how we follow God as long as there's nothing to it, as long as we're safe, as long as we're well-fed, as long as we get our own way, as long as God doesn't demand too much of us, as long as there's really not anything that would require faith, right? Being a Christian's easy as long as there's no requirement to believe God, because that's what is happening here. God is saying, God has said it. God, the living God, the God that we believe in has said, be calm. You can be calm. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be faint-hearted. Don't worry about these guys. And basically what God is saying is, I have them. Look on down. Verse seven says, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. God says, listen, these guys have this plan to bring harm to you. They have the plan to bring this king and set him up. They have this great plan to, you know, get their political way and their economic way and all their other ways. But I said, God says, it's not going to stand. It's not going to succeed. And so then all of a sudden, right, there has to be this response to God's word. I mean, I don't know if you knew that, but when you hear from God, including when you read his Bible, there's always a response to what it says. That response is either I trust you or I don't. That response is either I'll obey you or I won't. You see, we, we get it kind of backwards sometimes. We feel like we should be able to tell God how he should respond in our circumstances and in our lives. Anybody with me? All right, God, I've got this plan. I got it all figured out because I know what my life is going to be like tomorrow. And I know what the world's going to be like tomorrow. I know how the world's going to end. I got this all figured out. So, God, you want to come along and fix it my way, right? Anybody with me? That's not. It's not the way God works it. We, I don't know if you've noticed this, aren't God. Did you notice? Anybody notice? Not a one of us. Even you young ones are getting older. You just don't know it yet. Right? One of these days you'll look in the mirror and go, what in the world happened to me? But all of us know at some level we're not in control. Don't we? You sure that you're not in control of how things go at work, you're not in control. 
of how your boss is going to treat you. You're not in control of whether you have a job tomorrow. You're not in control of the economy that could infect, could affect your job. You're not in control of your health. You'd be perfectly fine today and wake up tomorrow morning and sick, be sick and have no idea what it is, and it could be any number of things that you can't control. I mean, we're not in control of very much, but we think we are. But when we're brought to a place like these guys are brought to a place and God says, be calm, don't be afraid, don't be fearful and be courageous. When God says it's not going to stand, it's not going to come to pass, we have to either believe him or we don't because Look at verse 8 and 9. They're interesting little verses. It says, For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. Now all God is saying here is, listen, Aram is led by a man. Ephraim is led by a man. They don't have any more control over their situations than you guys have any more control over your situation. And then he says to this king, this is King Ahaz of Judah. He says this king, if you will not believe, you surely shall not last. That's a very telling phrase because what he's telling Ahaz is that I've spoken to you. I've spoken to you. I've told you that Aram and Ephraim will not succeed in coming in to destroy your country. I've told you. I've told you to be calm. I've told you not to be afraid. I've told you to have courage. And I've told you that these things aren't going to pass. I've told you. And I can tell you right now that these guys that you're afraid of, these countries that you're afraid of, they're just men. They're just countries led by men. They're not going to be here in 65 years. It'll be gone. They won't even be a people, he says. But if you don't believe me, God says, you won't last either. Now, that's incredibly powerful because note the comparison. God's saying, you won't last if you don't believe, which means if you do believe, what? You will last. You will last. The difference here is what you're going to do with God and what you're going to believe about God. But it's going to have to be a practical belief. It's going to have to be a sincere belief. It's going to have to be hearing from God and realizing that God's word is more viable than anything you can see or hear or touch. God's truth is more viable than anything you can comprehend. What God says in his promises is more sure than anything you have in your life right now. What God says and what God does is going to outlast you. It's going to outlast your plans. It's going to outlast your resources. What God is and who he is is viable to us. He's real. He's tangible. He's trustworthy. But wow, is that hard, right? When you're afraid the turmoil in your country is going to kill you and your family, like my brother is going through now in Congo. How hard is that? But God says, 
And here's what's so crazy about this. He wasn't just saying this to Ahaz. He's saying, look, Ahaz, king, if you don't believe me, you won't last. You'll be gone. Ahaz didn't last very long. He was gone. He's also saying, Judah, if you don't believe, you'll be gone as well. See, crazy things are happening. I mean, after King Solomon, the third king of Israel, God had told him, if you walk well with me, I'll keep the kingdom united. If you don't, I'll divide the kingdom. Or sure enough, he didn't. Became an idolater and rebelled against God. And God ripped the kingdom apart. Northern kingdom of Israel has progressed further, faster in their sin, if you will, than the southern kingdom, Judah. But Judah's right behind them. This political climate right now, it's about 720 BC and, and Israel, the northern kingdom, is about to be destroyed by Assyria. Sure enough, they're coming and they're going to destroy Israel. But about 586, about 560, depending on your dates in there, Babylon's going to come. They're going to destroy Judah all because they would not believe God. They would not believe God. And so God is saying to Ahaz, if you don't believe, you will not last. And then we come to verse 10, and it's, it's a sweet thing. The Lord said, the Lord, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And, and I, I love this, and I laugh about this, and I probably shouldn't, because Here's this great opportunity, and you and I have this opportunity. We have it often. We have it for sure today. The first thing is, God says to him, ask for a sign. Do you want to know how powerful I am? Do you want to know if I'm with you? Do you want to know if I'm viable? Do you want to know if I care for you? Do you want to know if I deliver? Do you want to know if I save? I'm going to give you an opportunity, king. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Ask whatever you want. It can be as deep as death. It can be as high as heaven. But just ask for me to show you how real and powerful and glorious I am. Just name it. And what an opportunity. I, mean, I really believe God was trying to move Ahaz to faith. This is your chance. This is it, man. I'll show you how good I am. But Ahaz... He kind of rolls out those religious platitudes. Oh, no. I would never test the Lord my God. Now, mind you, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it does say, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. So maybe Ahaz goes, well, I've heard that. I shouldn't test the Lord. But it's not what he's talking about at Massa, they tested him because they didn't believe him. And he judged them. So he's saying, don't test God with unbelief. And now Ahaz is going, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to look to you. I'm not going to let you show me who you are because I don't believe you. I don't believe you. If you read your Bible and the history of the, the scriptures, Ahaz goes off and tries to seek help from Assyria at that time, who later comes and destroys these other nations and tried to destroy Jerusalem until God repelled him under Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. Cool stuff to read about what God does in his country, right? But Ahaz, 
is not going to believe. And honestly, he did not last. And so verse 13 says, Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? And Isaiah looks at him and goes, What are you thinking? You've been a jerk already trying the patience of the people around us, and now you're going to be a jerk to God and try his patience? And you think these guys didn't have a little fire? I think these guys had a little fire, by the way. Hallelujah. I think God has a little fire too, and you don't want any part of it. Not one bit of it. And so God says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. It's such a strange thing here. It's just, it's like it's almost out of place. And I don't have the time to go through some of the things that this passage is about. It's not really what we're here for today. But, but all of a sudden, in the midst of this, God calling him to faith, to believe that, that God would overcome the the Arameans and that God would overcome the Israelites and the charge and the, the threats that he had in the midst of this presence of God saying, I'm going to win this battle for you if you believe. God then says, look, if you're not going to ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. What's the sign for? What's the sign for? The sign is so that they will know he is with them. The sign is so that they will know he's deliverer. The sign is so that they will know he's able to save. And so he says, here's my sign. And it's, it's, a, it's a unique sign. A virgin will be with child. We know that's impossible, right? That's impossible. Biology tells us that that's impossible. And so then we believe that it's impossible because we know so much about biology. It's more viable than God is, right? But God says, that's part of my sign. A virgin's going to be with child. And not only is she going to be with child, but she's going to bear a son. And she's going to bear a son and she's going to call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. This is not going to be any ordinary sign. This is not going to be any ordinary statement. This isn't going to be any ordinary proof of who God is and how God is with us. This is going to be extraordinary. So turn over to Matthew chapter 1 with me. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, 
and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, mean, which translated means God with us. How powerful is this understanding of God's word to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7? How powerful is it that 700 years later, God has already spoken to Mary, and we'll look at that in just a minute, but he comes to Joseph. Joseph, who gets it? He's betrothed to this woman, Mary, but they've never been together physically. And now she comes and she tells him that she's pregnant. He goes, if you've not been with me, you've certainly been with somebody else and I'm out and you're out. And he was ready to send her away. But God comes to him and says, there's far more to this, far more to this. And so he tells her, right, that this child that she's going to have is by the Holy Spirit. He tells Joseph when he's considering sending her away that this child's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. He tells Joseph she's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And then he says, the sign that God promised Isaiah, this is the sign. The virgin's going to be with child. That's Mary. She's going to have a boy. And he's going to be Emmanuel. And the angel translates it, God with us. And all of a sudden, after 700 years, this sign that God had said was going to happen to Isaiah is coming to fruition. The sign that says, you don't have to be afraid. You can be calm. You can have courage you can walk through this world with assurance because I am with you, because God is with us, because God has a purpose and a plan and God has a love for us that overcomes our sin, that overcomes our brokenness, that overcomes the evils of this world and his name is Jesus Christ. God is with us. Man, I love the fact that God wanted to show us that he's with us. He's not just with us physically as Christ comes into this world. He was with his people back in Isaiah's day. He was telling them, I'm with you now. <coughs> but if you're going to be with me, you've got to trust me. It's the same today. Christ is with us. Matter of fact, when he ascended back into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in every single believer who trusts in Jesus Christ. And his presence is here to guide and to give wisdom and to give comfort, and to give grace and to give strength to do the things that we can do in this world. He's with us, but it requires faith. I mean, Christ is viable. He's literally here. He's literally moving. He's literally able Man, if he can stop two nations from invading another nation, if he can protect his people when they can't protect themselves, he can still protect us when we can't protect ourselves. He can still provide for us when we can't provide for ourselves. He can still forgive us of our sins when we can't forgive them ourselves. We're going to stand accountable to God without Christ Jesus. If we don't put our faith in Christ Jesus, we won't last either. It's only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that's going to make us acceptable to God. Well, listen, the description that 
that God makes to Joseph is pretty powerful. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, going to save his people from their sins, God with us. But look over at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is the same angel coming to Mary. This is now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, here we have this opportunity, and we have it, and we've had it, and we've had it, and we've had it, and we've had it. I mean, Christmas has come for all the years that you have been alive. Christmas comes every year, and it's a glorious time. I mean, we have beautiful decorations. We have gifts that we have. You bring all this stuff. We have all these songs that we sing. We have these songs that touch our emotions, certain ones among this this season. And we have our, our traditions at home with what we do with Christmas. But all of those things, they're cheap They're just cheap. They don't mean much. I said I wasn't going to say this second service, but how many of you actually remember what your present was last year at Christmas? I figured it out, by the way. I remember. I am a good husband. (laughs) But I didn't remember at 8 o'clock this morning. Because, you know... It's just a present. And we, we act as if, you know, all this stuff is so special to us when it can't save. It can't change. It can't calm. It can't heal. It can't deliver. It can't give life after death. It has nothing for us. It passes away just like you and I pass away. Dust to dust, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, right? But the angel says to Mary, he will be great. This sign this assurance, this hope. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. No one else gets to be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, the kingdom of God's people. He will reign over the house of Jacob, God's people forever. And his kingdom will have no end Is he 
Is he real? Is he trustworthy? Is he sure? Is he faithful? Is he able? (laughs) So much more. He tells her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Isaiah said, the virgin shall be with child. She'll bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. God's given us this sign, the sign that Ahaz would not ask for, the sign that Ahaz wasn't interested in, the sign that would have changed the course of Ahaz's life as well as that immediate course of Judah's life as a nation. You and I have the sign that says God's with us. I mean, it's so powerful. John chapter one, kind of a familiar passage, but it's, it's so powerful because this is what John says about Jesus in a little bit different way. In John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being, God and Creator, born through Mary. John 1, 10 through 14, carrying on, says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. That breaks my heart to read that. Because sometimes I know as I speak the word wherever it is, and many times in the churches, there's plenty of people that call themselves gods, but they don't know him because they haven't received him. Because that comes by faith. It comes by sure belief knowing that he is more real than anything you could come up with. And then it says, and I love this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You and I, man, we are blessed people. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, we've seen him. 2,000 years later, men are testifying of the reality of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself through one believer after another believer after another believer for generations now, for 2,000 years plus. He's real. He's powerful. He's life-changing. The other day I met with a couple. They, uh, they attend a different church. I'll say it that way. They need some real help. And I said to them, I said, you and I don't worship the same God. My God changed my life. My God changes my life. My God's personal and he's intimate. 
and he speaks, and he's powerful. I trust him. You want to talk about my God? Listen, Christ came so that we would know that God is with us. And knowing that God is with us is hope and peace and love and security and stability and life, joy and victory every day through every situation, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how difficult it might be, our God is with us and he loves us. But we gotta trust him. We gotta trust him. Do you trust him? Because if you don't trust him, why not say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I do trust in you. Help the areas where I'm struggling in my faith. But Lord God, let me trust you. You're faithful. And if you've never trusted Christ, why not today say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose again, and I believe, Lord God, you'll take care of me, and you'll save me. You'll give me life. So Lord, change me. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We do. We love you. I love you more than I could display or say, or even probably think, Lord God, you are, you are my Savior. You are with me. You are with us. Those who have trusted you as Savior, you are everything to us. Forgive us when we're not calm. Forgive us when we are afraid. Forgive us, Lord God, when we are not trusting that you can do what your word says you will do. But Lord God, I pray that today all of us would trust in Jesus Christ. Those who are here and have never done it, that today would be the day of their salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And for the rest, we pray we would grow, Lord God, and see you as more viable than any other answer we could turn to. And I pray that you'd be worshiped because you're worthy. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.